How many years did you have left in you of the grind? Seriously, though. Oh, we dude, it was, getting, it was getting dark. It was, get, it was getting <laughs> it fucking was getting, dark, bro. It was getting dark. You know, my credit cards were maxed out. I had to hit my folks up. I borrowed money from friends. I, I couldn't humble myself to the idea. And my dad got in my ear a lot at the time. He was like, it's not happening. Like, it's time to think about, you know a fallback plan, wow. which meant getting a job. And I was like, where would I even work? I have no skills. I have zero skills. It'd be like in Shawshank Redemption when they give the man a spoon and he spoons his way out of the jail. Eventually I spooned my way out of the river of shit that I was swimming in to come out clean on the other That's side. That's a bar. And as soon as I started meeting these people that I had been reading about and had so much reverence for and was hearing on the radio, and humanizing their stories the same way I did when I was reading about the generation before in books. I said, I'm on, I know what to do with this. And then it started happening for me. My desperate energy was shed. I was making enough money. I was signing things. I was having records on the radio. I had the trust of two of the smartest people in the music business around me as mentors. It was what I had worked that whole time for. And it's just ironic that it happened the way it did. What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode number 59 of Connection is Magic. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning in. Really appreciate your continued support. The growth has been really nice. The response has been really nice. So we're just going to keep rocking it. This week, we got on who you just heard, my friend of many years, the legendary Andy Steinway, music manager, man who's put up some serious stripes in the music business with a superstar client, Jazzy. Again, Jazzy co-wrote on the song Old Town Road, which you couldn't get away from for an entire summer broke all sorts of records it's the most selling song of all time she's written on that too travis scott rihanna coldplay on and on and on this man went through some really dark times man a lot of valley for this guy and i'm really grateful that he came on the show to open up about it because where he's at now he just signed a deal with hallwood media new company created by x geffen chairman neil jacobson and they're doing a whole lot of exciting things over there they got murder beats they got jeff basker legendary kanye west producer andy has just joined that firm not that long ago it's a really exciting time in his career and without further ado we are going to get into the journey of all the ups and downs and how he's managed to climb to the top with a gmail address for the whole ride (laughs) some real player shit thank you for coming back and here we go Down cross town, living like a rock star, spend a lot of money on my brand new good Okay, welcome everybody to episode number 59 of Connection is Magic. Thank you for coming back and tuning in. Today we have the man, the myth, the legend, Andy Steinway, who I call Wheezy. Andy fucking Steinway. Andy fucking Steinway. That's yes, that's his handle on IG. And Twitter, if you want to beam them, your demos. Hit, hit, my, hit my other messages <laughs> folder. He's got, I'm, he would love to hear your demos. Right. Fuck, fuck out of here. <laughs> Drop my email at the end. Let's, let's, keep it, let's go through the right channels. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, man. My pleasure. Yeah. Always. You have a great story. You originally are from North Carolina, which you and I have spoken about. is an interesting place because it doesn't have a quote-unquote proper traditional music scene but it has a music scene doesn't have a there's no north carolina sound nobody's carved out the north carolina sound i mean the baby doing what the baby does right now like that's the finer parts of 
you know, Atlanta and DC and kind of the regional Southern scene. For your formative years, at least then, like, um, I'm sure you can expound on that. Like, you know, we can do a big college word, expound. Expound. Yes, sir. We like words like that. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Tell the listeners just so that they get a little feel for like your background. Well, I was actually born in Los Angeles, but I moved when I was three and a half years old. Um, Grew up in mid Wilshire. I'm three years older than my sister. My parents, actually, my parents have a funny story of how they met. Can I like segue and and, and say that? We we welcome stories. So, My mom had been freshly divorced, moved from Cincinnati to Los Angeles, and she's got like three catty, chathy sisters that were like, you know, you need to get back out there, you know, put in, and this, this is before, you know, long before social media, any shit like that. Yeah. So you, there was like a dating section in the classifieds, you know, like it would, it would, I, I guess it kind of moved from there to Craigslist and Craigslist had all of the like real nasty shit added to it. Yeah, creepy vibes yeah, though, yeah, right? Yeah, but it was, you know, single... 37 something with brown hair, you know, and my dad replied to that, but she did, but listen to this. So she did it with her, my mom, God love her. She was like, I'm not going to, this is embarrassing. I have to do it with my other sisters. My dad replied to all the sisters. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible, bro. And, um, I was born from that response and we moved, um, my parents just wanted to raise a family somewhere a little quieter. And we moved to uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, go Tar Heels. Which, um, you know, actually is one of the one. Of, it has more PhDs per capita than Damn. anywhere in the world. A lot Crazy. of biotech, um, just really kind of up in the on the up and up. And yeah, great place to grow up. Better place to leave. You know, Jewish boy in the Bible Belt. So growing up, you know, from as far back as I can remember, you know, like eight, nine years old, everyone was at church and youth group and yeah. going to Dave Matthews. And I said, fuck that. <laughs> I wanted to listen to two live crew and anything that like my parents fucking hated you know please take me to see it how did you consider like the music business as a career possibility from north carolina because there's obviously no music business in north carolina i didn't even know there was a i didn't understand the business of music i just wanted to play fucking guitar i played basketball my whole life as did anybody i've been you can't really tell on camera for anybody looking at my pretty face. Man, but svelte. Yeah, very svelte. I've, I've been like 6'2 since I was 12 years old and had like facial Jeez. hair. So I went, I was playing ball and I went from being like power forward to a forward to a shooting guard to eventually like starting to smoke weed and play guitar. I backed away from sports and it just yeah. took over my life in high school. So I would skip school and go to used record stores and buy as many, you know, old finals as I could because I like the process of like having it's like a book you have to sit and pay attention to it there was no distraction so it was immersive and I would go to guitar center and I would just jam with anybody that would have me I I would would bring a little weed in this pocket and a little bowl in the other and be like you want to go like around back and have an after school special come back super fucking baked be like oh like here's a mandolin fuck it like I'll play the mandolin now And it was incredible. And it took over my life. And this was like 10th grade from that moment on. It was like me falling in love with music all over again. I had big aspirations of eventually being like Jimmy Page and wearing dragon pants and going up on stage and playing fucking guitar solos. Bought all the DVDs, bought all of the biographies. I was a voracious reader of like nonfiction. That's that's how I, I love to know where people come from. That's why I wanted to do this podcast because I think it's an opportunity to really get some insight into how people's minds work. 
and what they were thinking and how people, you know, when somebody asked me if I eventually have children and my children get to be old enough where they ask you the heart, like, why is the sky blue? When they ask me, what's the definition of life? I'll say growth. Mm. You know, I think growth is really important. And I like to study how other people grow because, you know, whether you come from privileged beginnings or humble beginnings, um, I want to know and I want to evangelize for their truth Mm. and try and get as close to it as possible. That's well said. You're very comfortable in your own skin. I feel like you're very comfortable, like sort of marching to your own drum. I'm a Libra. I'm like an introverted extrovert. I'm like two or three interesting people rolled into one that don't get along with each other. Is the best way to explain it. <laughs> you enjoy talking about growth. I think what comes with growth is, you know, when we get challenged in life or go through adversities, like... You know, like you always hear in these documentaries, like these artists, like their parents got divorced or, you know, I mean, some big event kind of spawns something. Yeah. That's what, and that's what you're, that's what you're searching for when you ask questions. And that's what you do here is you try and find something that is, and for lack of a better word, like an inflection point where Correct. everything changes. Rubik's cube, a life story to find those points. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, I come from a musical instrument family. My great, great, great grandfather founded Steinway Pianos. Crazy. Started in Hamburg. It's one of the oldest musical instrument companies in the world. You know, there's a Steinway stop in Queens. Like it says Steinway when you get off the subway. It's a fucking trip. Coming from that, you know, it, you know, there was a piano in my house and I took piano lessons growing up, but I just didn't gravitate towards it. As soon as I started playing guitar, I remember when I wanted to play guitar, actually. Like my mom great Jewish mother who would do anything to get an edge on me. You know, she had me on Adderall at a young age. I am ADHD, if you can't tell no. already. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. But um, you would get extra time on tests. That was like her bit, you know, trying to Dude, get anything I a nice that. Jewish I mother that. would do to get, that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so she shipped me away to Colorado at Boulder to take care of some general ed credits pre-college. I um, watched someone play guitar as as you would when they brought it out. And I remember looking around at how like women were laying down on their stomach, you know, facing their hands, like fluttering their their feet and just how engaged everyone was with it. And I like engaging with people and having their undivided attention. And when someone's playing music, you know, you you have this reverence for what they're what they're giving to you. You're engaged. 100%. Yeah. And so I, I bought a guitar as soon as I got back home. I, um, I bought a guitar in a box for 70 bucks. I think it was a Fender. And I just played it every fucking day. I went to a Berkeley College of Music. And when I started there, you know, my first day, I'm lugging up all my records and my instruments. And I was kind of hot shit in, in Chapel Hill, Battle of the Bands. And I would bring my guitar to school. And I would do the same thing to try and get girls. I was yeah. like, I can't do to you with my words what I can do with the guitar. Oh, you want to hear me play um, Dave Matthews? I fucking got you. Here we go. Let's rock. But I get to school and I think it took one day for me to realize that the space between how proficient I was and how exceptional some of these other people were hit me like a ton of bricks. But that was such a beautiful thing. And I have the font, some of the fondest memories of my life being in the dorms and asking the right questions about people that I had no exposure to, being around, you know, gay people for the first time in my life and people from Nigeria. It, it was beautiful. That's and awesome. I had such an appetite for their experience the same way that I dove into, as a lonely kid playing music, books. Mm. You know, these, these, these people that I had reverence for what they were doing were 
all around me. They were everywhere. They were down the hall. They were in the cafeteria. It was incredible. The thing that gave me a leg up when things started to get better for me because I got bullied in high school. I, I was friends with like a lot of the girls. Sure. You know, I wasn't threatening to them. I was, you know, good looking enough where I was an easy target for some of these guys that were, you know, you know, I've been tall, but like they've eventually caught up and passed up. And I was just an easy target. So I would, yeah. get, I would go to dances and like, I remember the circle of guys got around me and they were pushing me back and Jesus. forth. And it, it, it felt like my life was over when that yeah. was happening. But the reassurance of like playing music and knowing like, I don't know where this is going to take me, but I know that this is it. I'm facing the right direction. I was like, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And be okay meant like, Let's get the fuck out of here mm -hmm. and let's mm -hmm. start the rest of my life with this as a foundational piece. And so it's at, at Berkeley, like we all looked out for each other. I never had that feeling again in life. I, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. You know, I was, you know, I felt like I was gravitating towards art and music and that type of shit. And I felt like different at that point, but I stuffed like who I really was in order to fit in. Fuck I feel like that. every... Yeah, I mean, we we all did. I remember my mom, I, I was saying something about like these popular kids and my mom, God bless her soul, was like, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear that word come out of mm. your mouth. That's a toxic pejorative word that means nothing. And you think it's everything right now. You become who you're supposed to be and get to know yourself. Don't think you're here to impress these, these kids ain't going to be shit in no time at I all. I can't even tell you how true that is, <laughs> bro. ain't going to be shit. Just know, know you and be a good person and be honest, be an honest person. It's like the people that get fucked with in high school are often like the most successful. It's, why is yeah, that? Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's these, these awkward girls that blossom into the most beautiful women inside yeah. and out. And these, these guys that were picked on that like, hit the fucking weight room. And now they'll like spin you around their head. When I talk about it here... It's really nice to know that you kind of came from what felt like a, a, a troubled, I don't know who I am, who am I supposed to be? I've got expectations. Yeah, but, super painful. Yeah. But uh, then you eventually start to find your way and you're like, I know that I'm facing the right direction and things are going to be all right. You're in North Carolina and mm -hmm. then you get to you get to Berkeley Boston. and you're, you're Boston and mm -hmm. you're like not even thinking music business yet. When does the first idea of music business um, find you? So there was a couple kind of hot local acts that some of the, you know, there was some Berkeley players, some people from Northeastern. Um, and I just kind of was, comp you know, when I would go out, I would, I would meet these guys that ran the clubs like the Middle East or Cafe 939 or the Paradise places like that. And so I was developing relationships with these folks and could help people get, you know, an EPK together or build out their MySpace or send Facebook invites or, you know, had a friend that knew a friend whose dad had a, you know, you know, extra blanks for t-shirts. So I just kind of found my way in that role, never thinking that I would make money, you know, while I had other friends that were throwing parties, I was kind of booking the acts at these parties and moving them around. So I was aware of what was going on and just kind of eased my way into that space. Because in my opinion at the time, anything I could do to help, I certainly couldn't help by playing. They would run 
they would run laps around me, mm. you know, and I was like, you know, I think I can help you guys. I really believe yeah. in your band. And this was right on the time when you realized like two, the, that literally the, but, 2006, 2007, 2008. But you realized the gap and like you were a good player, but like maybe you not started to realize that Just you weren't good, good enough to go enough. to that not level, when, right? Yeah when, you, yeah, when you have such exposure to people that are yeah. exceptional and you realize that the space between proficiency and exceptionalism is light years apart, right. you know, I could practice the rest of my life. And not be as good as some of these guys on their worst day. And I could see when they were playing how they were thinking and kind of, you know, we were playing, I was telling you about Kurt Rosenwinkel. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I used to watch him. He's like an elitist jazz band leader. I think he led like a quintet, used to play at this um, hotel bar called the Regatta Bar in Boston. And I was, I wanted to see him play because what I was hearing, I couldn't believe I was like, this has to be two people playing or people punching in. Yeah. So I would go see him by myself, order a fucking gin martini because I was feeling the vibe in the hotel bar. And I would watch him and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Just, just such a, just, I didn't know how to process it. It was so light years ahead of how I thought about the notes and phrasing and all of the stuff that gives so you that an was identity. a pivotal moment though that was that was when you hung up your your music basically. well it was it just reinforced what i already knew day one yeah and i was just yeah. everywhere i would go i would be reminded that you know, that i needed to find my place in music and i just eased my way into being in service of people that i was inspired by and i enjoyed it i really did you know and creative people don't really enjoy that part they're like leave me out of the fucking business true this is ugly like you do that i'll do this and that was kind of my explanation to them without being like here sign this contract i was in college yeah i don't even know what a contract meant maybe i wanted to work for a record label or book shows or be a personal manager, you know, still figuring it out, figuring mm -hmm. it out, dude. At some point you're like, let me try a fucking internship, right? That happens at some point. I did like you four know. internships when I moved to where LA. Where was your right very after, first one? Where was my first one? I worked at Wea Corp. You know oh what Wea Corp God, is? Oh my God, yeah. In yes. Burbank, right? When Warner was still, you know, there was a ski lodge. It was directly, yeah. directly across the, uh, the street. To be honest, I, I had, I worked there for three or four months. A buddy from school got me the internship. I had no idea what we did there. I just didn't understand. But I was happy to be there, but wasn't like mature enough to, to kind of fit into that office atmosphere yet. Um, I did an internship at Ticketmaster, did an internship at Live Nation. I got a job right after at excuse me, at ICM, which I think I told, I've told you about. Yeah, we could talk about that story because I think you quit three weeks in or something. <laughs> no, I got, or you got fired, fired three weeks two in. weeks Two in. weeks in. Yeah, that's where, you know, when you're at, at, at a talent agency, um, you know, especially when you're the lowest rung on the totem pole, you sort mail, you pick up the phone. My job was to pick up the phone and go, Natalka Dudinsky's office, please hold. You know, and I would route calls, but even that was beyond my competency at the time because I still was like a guitar, like a, an artist trapped in, you know, there, yeah. there was the duality kind of going on. I didn't know how I was going to make this work. I, they, they let me go in two weeks. I remember when I got let go, it was on a Friday. They let me go on a Friday <laughs> so I didn't shoot up the building or anything. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do, which is go crazy. I um, was flirting with with somebody in the lit department that I had had my eye on all week. And I was in my rolly chair and I rolled over. I saw my boss, my boss's boss, Steve Levine, who ran the music department walk in. 
And I could tell he didn't know my name, but he looks at me like I wasn't where I was supposed to be by the phone. I had one shot, pick up the phone. Phone's probably ringing. He looks over, he goes, and I said to myself, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> and sure enough, 30 minutes later, bring, bring, Natalka Dudinsky's office. Yeah, can you come to, you know, whoever the human resources person is like, it's just not working out. I was crushed. I was crying. I told everyone I got this job and it was finally because, you know, I did three internships. Because ICM is like a name brand. They were booking like Muse. Kendrick Lamar was there. Yeah. Like it was, it was a big fucking deal. I told everyone I got the job. And then two weeks later, I was like, they were like, oh man, so how's everything? I was like, I got fired three weeks ago. Thanks for asking. And I was crushed. That was the best thing that ever happened to me, though, because that's when I said, all right, like how I'm behaving is inappropriate. I'm not mature enough. I have some catching up to do. I always say, you know, I mature, you know, it took me a lot longer to mature than most of my other friends. Yeah. And it was a wake up call because I only had so much money left. My parents were financially supporting me. I was how old now? 24, 25 I was ashamed of that. That was like mm. a really hard pill to swallow. I was like, I don't know if I'll, I wonder if I'll ever get a job or how I'm going to make this work or if a job's even Did for me. Did you feel like that was the end of the road I for thought, a minute? For yes, sure. I thought, well, yeah, I thought yeah. about leaving LA for sure and moving, wow. moving back to North Carolina to start over. Maybe I could lay cement or just do something that was easy, you know, that was consistent. Oh. It felt hyper competitive out here and it kind of in a not as pleasant way, reminded me of, I thought I had it figured out when I got to college and was like, well, I looked around. Nope. I don't know shit. <laughs> and I got to LA. I was like, LA is going to chew me up and spit me out. This mm. isn't working. But I picked myself up and I started to, that's how we met all the, you know, shortly after around that, that time. Around that time. Yeah. And I was connecting with people on Facebook at the time. Yeah. DM, DMing everybody. Hey, can we meet up? I'd love to pick your brain, buy you a coffee. I bought at least 30 people coffees. I was annoyed. Did most of those go nowhere? I mean, like, did all, the odds almost are not all of great. them went nowhere, yeah. but I know a lot of these people still to this day, and they don't even remember. A lot of them don't even remember. Wow. These were A&R people, managers at Red Light that worked with Irving Azoff. I would find out their names. I would DM them on Facebook, or I'd find their email or get an intro, and I started to network. And then I said to myself, whoa, like the same way like I can use this Berkeley network there's this whole Los Angeles network and it's an industry, you know, mm -hmm. and there's insiders and there's outsiders and I'm an outsider. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. How do I become an insider? Let me get some inside information. Yeah. And so that started to give me better information about what it took to kind of make it in the industry. And that's when things started to slowly happen. Tell us about one of those meetings that was the most memorable for you that really went somewhere. I had a friend from school I was living with, um, um, you know, a couple buddies from school um, and knew someone that worked at Columbia. Mm -hmm. And that was this guy, James Allen, who's still, shout out James, like one of my best friends to this day. Lives up north now, his beautiful wife, you know, baby girl, a couple dogs and a cat. Um, he was a part of like signing an MGMT and some really this dope This was an A&R guy. A&R guy. Yeah. Um, who was getting out, kind of easing his way out of A&R at the time. But we just really hit it off. And, you know, it, it was the first time I really felt like he had my back and still has my back to this day. And I have his. I talk to him every week. 
he introduced me again, bring it back to, you know, D'Angelo. I interviewed Pino Palladino when I was in school. He was good friends with this guy, Ben Kane, who was D'Angelo's engineer. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, I can get in the studio and maybe watch him. Yeah. Legendary yes, guy. Yeah. Legend. Yeah. And, um, he had a friend named Emily King who was an artist in New York who was signed to, um, at the time, Jive Records, Pete Edge signed her and brought it to Clive Davis. Um, and then Clive was, you know, actively involved. It didn't work out for her around the time when I met James and she was looking for a manager and Ben just liked me, mostly, mostly because of the referral from James Allen, who was at Columbia. Mm. So he hooked me up with a meeting uh, I heard the music and just fell in love with her. I said, mm. you know what, you know, I've been doing, helping out friends and, you know, doing this and that, but I'm ready to take this very seriously. You will have my full attention. When we fall, we're going to fall together, but I want to hold you up. And I think we can do great things and I'm going to make a ton of mistakes, but this, you're going to get my very best. And she said, fuck it, let's go. I'll do it. You can be my manager. And... She was an exceptional talent. Still this day, one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Most beautiful voice like water, like Mustafa the Poets that just haunts you. And she did a lot of, um, you know, again, I was booking shows and pressing CDs and doing private events for money and making sure she got business class tickets and, you know, that her room when she stayed somewhere like overlooked the water. And I, I just took a lot of pride in... Whatever you said she, you also fell down quite a lot, though. Like, let's I, be real about this. Did you fuck up shows? I fucked up shit it? all like, the time. I remember like, the worst thing I did was because I, I, I thought, you know, again, I'm reading books about how some of these like Tommy Matolas and L.A. Reeds would move. And I was like, yeah, yeah, these guys are sharp with the tongue. I remember I got her in an, a VH1 show. You know, they have the ad card after the music plays that says like music by. Yes. And it said they spelled her name wrong. It said Emily Kang. <laughs> And I went on email. This was so stupid. And I was like, how the fuck did you let this happen? You guys, you know, just this and that. It was so inappropriate. She stuck, this poor woman stuck her entire department on the email and was like, I don't know who you are, but we will never work with you ever again. Period. Period. End of story. End of story. And then like one of her colleagues, she stuck on copy was like, yeah, no, we don't know who you are either. Like the fuck gives you the right fuck out of here. You little clown. And I was like, okay, well mind my, mind my, mind my, mind my manners. But, but we got her an agent, Kara Lewis, who I still work with to this day. Shout out Kara Lewis. She helped us get a bunch of opening tours. We opened for Maroon 5, CeeLo, Alicia Keys, um, Flowetry. You remember Flowetry? Yeah, I know so you remember Flowetry. We're old enough. And Sarah Bareilles in particular. And when we were doing the, the Sarah Bareilles tour, um, I met these guys that eventually gave me my next job. So I went from like one thing. It, I just had to be kind of put in the game. I had to put myself in the game. Nobody mm. put me in the game. They would shut the front door and I would take the lock in the back door and be like, I fucking arrived, but no one was there hanging out with me yet besides <laughs> Emily King. And I love her to this day for it. She really helped give me the confidence to make it in this music 
business. I think going through the path of being someone's assistant and working my way up just wasn't ever suited for me. I would have probably gotten, it would have been very similar to what happened at ICM. It just would have happened over and over. And I probably would have left LA 100%, 100%. I would have given, I would have you know, lived a private musical life. So let's talk about that. Cause I remember a distinct moment. Again, this show is all about being fucking real. So there was a moment where you were like on the verge of tears in one, one part of your journey. We were near Fred 62s, which anybody in LA knows where Fred 62s is. I haven't been there in years. Dude. Yeah. But it's, you know, near late Silver, night spot, late night spot. Yeah. And you were just, man, just defeated. I mean, really like you were defeated that day. You were defeated oh, and do. you really were, about to I fucking do, pack it in. I, I do remember and, this. And it's yeah. funny because I, I remember, I'm not going to say exactly what it was about because I don't want to blow up anybody's spot, but I was promised something by somebody and they didn't deliver that on it. That was the and day was, it fell through. It, it didn't fall, it didn't fall through, but it, it had, it had kind of hit a head. It hit a crossroads and the decision wasn't mine. I had no power in this decision mm. and it was, it, that that you know when you're kind of manically like high on life and happy and then something just brings you down like yeah. it's like the tower of terror in disneyland the elevator just <laughs> dropped on me there was this opportunity which had you floating yes basically. yeah absolutely and it just got taken it just got it just or, got taken from me the worst part was that I felt like I had done everything right, mm. that I learned from mistakes. And I wasn't, you know, I used to see a therapist because around this time, which helped me a lot because I, and my, I wanted to see a therapist because I said, I need to talk to somebody about aligning where I, th you know, closing the gap on who I think I am, the man I want to be and how other people perceive me because I feel like the perception isn't matching the person well that said. I want to be. That was a horrible day. And I thought about, but I never, and you did think about going back to North Carolina. Absolutely. Right? Hell, I didn't even like, have enough money for a ticket. I would have driven home to North Carolina. Anybody listening, day, you know how long yeah. that drive is? That That's is 3,000 miles wild, on I-40 or go down I-10 and you reach exit 1,250 in Texas. That's, That's a lot. Wild. That's a lot of time and space to think about, oh shit, there's nothing waiting for me where I'm going. Just like when I moved to LA, I was like, there's it, nothing waiting for me out here, for, but friends. So how did you pick yourself back up, bro, from that terrible crushing moment? So this is what happened next, which is really funny. I... Got wind of Sarah Bareilles had let her manager go. And obviously I got to know Sarah a little bit because Emily was opening right, for her. So right. backstage at the Greek, we'd all be having lunch. Not and homies though. We're not homies. No, but like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to shoot my shot. Love had it. a Gmail address, found out who the attorney, I read something in like a music trade that said that Doug Mark, big shout out, Doug Mark, um, was leading the interviewing process for prospective managers. And not that it was a cattle call, but I've, I looked at that as a ding, ding, ding. Let me find this man's address, hit him up. Hi, I manage Emily King. You know, I'm a young manager that would give this my full attention. I know Sarah, we've toured, talked to Emily about me. She thinks I'm great. <laughs> and I'd love to meet you just to get to know each other. No pressure. Doug wrote back right away. Ping. Love to meet up. How about three weeks from now or whatever? I was like, mm. I would have liked tomorrow, but okay, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do it. And I met him at Soho House and I was giving my whole pitch, doing the fast talking thing. 
just like, I remember I psyched myself up. I was like, this is my opportunity. This is rabbit going on stage in Detroit. Like I was ready to go. And he looked at me with the sweetest look. And he said, Andy, you got a lot of balls, but this is going to go to, this is (laughs) going to Brandon Creed, Irving Azoff or Troy Carter. You know, I don't know what to tell you. He's looking around. He's like, Jesus, like I had to listen to this whole spiel. He said yes to the meeting though. He said yes to the meeting. Well, he he liked, he liked, I had balls. He respected the balls. Who knows? But at that moment, Danny D walked by. Tim Blacksmith and Danny D are legendary music managers, publishers. They managed this producer duo Stargate that did... You know, so sick for Neo. They put Neo on. Rihanna. They did Rihanna, you know, SM, Only Girl in the World, Wasn't Selena Sam Gomez. They're the most, some of the most successful. They're in the conversation with Max Martin and at the time, Dr. Luke as being the most successful producers in the world. And they were hot. I mean, yeah. fucking hot all over the radio. And Doug saw Danny walking by. I'd heard of these guys, but didn't know what they looked like. Didn't know any. They deliberately had it that way. They didn't want to be. That was part of their mystique. They wanted to move in silence and make money and dominate the charts. And they were dominating at the time. They had a publishing company, had Labyrinth, Charlie XCX, Sam Smith, Kaiser had Hideaway on the radio. Latch was on the radio. Fetty Wap. They were killers when doug the attorney introduced you to danny did you actually know their track record at that point very very well danny walked by at the time after doug was like dude like this is not going to you like give it up but you should meet this guy danny and he kind of like brought him in as a lifeline got his info we sat down like drank a few whiskeys together um he loved Emily King. Hmm. He remembered her from, you know, because they published Emily Sonday. Yeah. And we opened up for Emily Sonday all over the country, 25 dates. We went from Lincoln Theater to Seattle to the Doug Fur to Great American Music Hall in San Francisco down to Three Nights at the El Rey out here. She was breaking at the time. Number one record in the UK. For those that believe in fate or divine timing, I mean, like, this was such an example of that, yeah, right? Like, I mean, dude, yeah. such a perfect opportunity for you. They it almost seems meant to be. They didn't fuck with people. That was a big thing of theirs. They were hard to get to. This went from Sarah Bareilles redirect that's not going to happen okay redirected my focus over to these guys it's it's an amazing point too because i think you know you and i have spoken about this before but sometimes we think our life is going in a direction and something new and better opens up for us 100 percent. and they they put me in the game i do want to tell some funny shit you emailed a million people oh, I know in a stretch of time. I know what you're talking about. We have about. to say well, the we story. Used to, we used to go to coffee shops together and hang out, and I would be there, like, posted up with my laptop, like, sending resumes yeah. and, you know. Co- like, like, a lot of cold reach outs because 100%. what else the fuck are you going to do? But I was still you meeting, know? you know, nobody would take the shot on me. I was meeting a lot of these people, and they were like, it's kind of what Doug said. Like, you got a lot of balls, kid. Like, yeah. hang around, great things might happen for your future, but it's not going to be me that gives it to you. <laughs> great. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> back and you know never and i remember one time we were together and you know i'm cut copy and pasting like my resume and email where were we the pig the pig yes yeah and i was like essentially i was like this i was just moving i was just moving too fast hey ryan trust this finds you well my name's andy blah 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 bing next one cut copy paste hey you know brian blah 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 boom and I remember I didn't change somebody's name and I sent it to this like, 
And I was sending it to big people too. Shoot for the top. I've, I've been partying with some of these younger kids. They didn't have the power to give me a job. They were trying to protect their own necks. This guy writes back, ping. I'm like, hold on. That noise that I love, that I don't hear enough. And he's right back like, who the fuck is Ryan? I got the guy's name wrong. And I was just like, you know what? Now the head of this label is going to remember what a dumbass I am. And again, just moving, moving too fast. It's too eager to move on. Tim and Danny, I was in awe of what they had accomplished. Most successful joint venture in modern music publishing. Managed Stargate, who had they were doing the beats for everybody on the radio. I was like, this is an opportunity for me to learn. And they want me around? What? They're like, we're moving to LA. You're gonna, well, I don't have a title for you, but we'll pay you to work with us. Ding, 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 ding. Incredible. Lottery. That's the lottery. The, that, yeah. was the, that was yeah, the lottery. That was and then... And How then many I, hours and years did you put into the game prior to that life-changing moment? That's what would be good it for happened, people to know. I was hired when I was 28 years old. So I had been kind of floundering, I guess is the word, for six years. Of, of nonstop grind, grind. though, there, right? were, there was like two years where nothing happened. Wow. Nothing. These guys took a shot on me and put me on. And I worked for them for four years till I was, you know, in my early 30s. And I learned everything from everything them. Everything you know I today, consul- would you say they shaped who you are they totally, today? They, yeah. they totally, you know, I, I owe them the world. Mm. You know, they they kept me in the studio where I could build personal relationships with creative people, songwriters, producers. I was there getting these dishes hot out the oven it's before like, anyone really would like hear It's really like the them. Harvard of management, wouldn't you say? It was one of the most privileged opportunities that someone like me needed to make manifest what was missing in my life yeah. and do something bigger and better with it if and when it came time to leave, which I eventually did and they understood. Yeah. But without that... Who the fuck knows? Do you think you may have ended up back in North Carolina? Because you, how many years did you have left in you of the grind? Seriously, though. Oh, dude, grinding. it was getting it was getting dark. It was getting it was getting <laughs> fucking was getting, dark, bro. It was getting dark. You know, my credit cards were maxed out. I had to hit my folks up. I borrowed money from friends. I, I couldn't humble myself to the idea. And my dad got in my ear a lot at the time. He was like, "It's not happening. Like, it's time to think about, you know." fallback plan which meant getting a job and i was like where would i even work wow i have no skills i have zero skills it'd be like in shawshank redemption when they give the man a spoon and he spoons his way out of the jail eventually i spooned my way out of the river of shit that i was swimming in to come out clean on the other side and as soon as i started meeting these people that i've been reading about and had so much reverence for and was hearing on the radio and humanizing their stories the same way I did when I was reading about the generation before in books, I said, I'm on. I know what to do with this. And then it started happening for me. People started to fuck with me. My desperate energy was shed. Mm. You know, I had enough, I was making enough money. I was signing things. I was having records on the radio. I had the trust of two of the smartest people in the music business around me as mentors. It was what I had worked that whole time for. And it's just ironic that it happened the way it did. Very life-changing moment was Doug Mark meeting Sohouse, introduced you to Danny. Your second kind of life-changing moment, as far as I can tell, is meeting Jazzy, who's like a superstar mm-hmm. writer right now, Old Town Road. 
and Drake and 21 Savage and on and on for people that don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but tell us about that moment and how that moment found you. I, when I started working with Tim and Dan, I said to myself right away, I need to sign some things. Having assignments isn't enough. I signed these producers, the arcade really quickly who produced fancy for Iggy Azalea diamond record, $10 million copyright. They helped them move to, um, they were kind of my focus, right? When I jumped in, I was like, maybe I can help out with Stargate, but obviously there wasn't too much value I could bring outside of like, what about this person? Like a suggestion. And they were like, yeah, just stay in your fucking lane, dude. Like, you know, like, let me just say for the record, I have good taste. I, I was around the Sia's and the Esther Dean's and I remember when Julia Michaels came to the studio for the first time watching Charlie XCX record. I knew the the level. I was kind of born into it through college, you know, what exceptional means and what it sounds like and appreciating that moment when it's live. a good musical diet. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so I knew that I wanted to, it was a patient search to find some other things for myself, particularly a songwriter. Like I was signing producers. I was taking great assignments from Tim and Danny, um, moving around with them, mobbing out on the outside. But there was this girl that I had heard about. I had little arrangements with the people at the West Hollywood studios where, you know, they'd be like, um, we've got such and such in the studio, um, send some beats. And if the beat placed, I would break them off off. thousand bucks, you know, whatever I could get away with. And there was one guy in particular who always was, he was just very on it with me and I didn't Mm -hmm. fuck with everything he sent, but he was sending me Enough where I was like, I trust this guy's opinion. Let me pay close attention. And he told me about Jazzy when I came in one day. I was like, eh, have you seen anything dope? He said, he looked at me. He might as well have grabbed me by the shoulders and start shaking me. And he was like, there is this girl that was here last week, Josie or Jazu or something. She was in four different rooms. She had girls. The energy was through the roof. She is a fucking killer. And I said, all right, like, do you have her phone number? No. Shit. Okay. I wrote it in my notes. I still have a screenshot of the note where I spelled her name wrong. Flash forward, maybe several weeks later, I bring a producer to the Stellar House, which was um, Tim and Danny's studio. We were, we were having a great meeting, hearing some music. We heard some records that were great. And I said, who's the girl that's singing? I was like, oh, that's Jazzy. I said, put her on text with me right now. Wow. And I... She rushed back right away. She was in Miami. And I said, can I call you? She said, absolutely. Get on the phone with her. Not even exaggerating. I That was the only time in my life I've had kind of love at first sight. You know what I mean? I was just like, I said to myself, which is maybe one of the better inner monologue or dialogues I had in my head. I said, don't hang up the phone. Just keep talking. Just kind of like how we're doing right now. We talked for three hours about everything. She told me about how she grew up, Mm. you know, what had happened to, you know, her sister, how her brother was locked up. She was discovered by Timbaland, mentored by Missy Elliott, who taught her how to record herself. And she was like Miami royalty. Like she was at live every night lit with, you know, the Miami heat. Everyone fucked with her still it hadn't happened for her at that, that it wasn't point, that ha- conversation it, it wasn't you. happening the same way it kind of wasn't happening for me prior to but now i was in a position to to make shit happen for people i'd been working for tim and danny for three and a half years now i was on i felt like i was somebody in this game mm-hmm. and in, in my own sweet way i knew my role and she was just coming out of a situation with her manager uh, Polo to Don. Eventually, um, I said to Jazzy, I want to meet you. She was coming to Los Angeles. She was an hour late. When I ran into her, I gave her a big hug. I said, this is unacceptable. The fuck you think this is? She said, I'm sorry. Let's get to work. 
put her in sessions with some incredible producers. And I was in their ear, said, let me know if this girl is the truth. I think she is. All of them were like, Andy boy, you need to run headfirst into this. This girl's mm. out of here. One of the best songwriters I've ever worked with. Let's fucking go. Money. At the end of that trip, she said, I want you to be my manager. I was still working with Tim and Danny at the time. I was thinking about what was next for me. I felt like I'd done enough time there and they had, and, and, and more importantly, from my personal perspective, that they had taught me everything they were prepared to at the time. So kind of just would have been hanging out afterwards in a yeah. lot of ways, would have continued to do great things, I would imagine. But, you know, I was just ready for my next move. And if not now, then when and how this was my how I saw how they built their business. You know, they were successful executives beforehand, but Stargate took things to a whole nother stratospheric level. This was my Stargate. I said, I don't know anything about Miami. I can do nothing for you out there. Move to L.A. and I will be your everything. Mm. And she did. And she moved into a one bedroom apartment that I had off Fairfax in West Hollywood and where she slept on an air mattress for six months. And I knew exactly what to do with her. I got her in with all the right people. We started to make a little money. We got our first six figure check that turned into, you know, other other bags. And she was able to move out and get on her own feet. So wow. we we. We looked out for each other. She was my only, at the time, I left everything behind. I said, you can keep it. I wanted to focus on this. This was the one thing. This was my Stargate, you know, and Stargate changed their lives. Jazzy was in real time changing my life. And this was three and a half years ago. You guys were changing each other's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we went on to do exceptional things that weren't well, even let, let's pause the story there because the air mattress uh for the six months it's not like it happened over overnight right you know and especially with songwriters it takes time yeah you know you're not seeing any you know we were getting like little little bags here and there people that just knew how great she was and yeah. paid her for the attempt rather than something that lands i used to say like this is this is evil Knievel. You pay us for the attempt, not the not, not if we stick the landing. So you pay us to show up. That's a bar. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I thought she was worth it. And again, yeah. like I needed the money too. She needed the money. I wanted to get her <laughs> yeah. out of my space. <laughs> Love you, Jazzy. But like you were ready to have your own space too. And she was going. She would go out. Talk about discipline. As lit as she would get, and we like to get lit. Like she would get up early every morning, go to the gym, and outwork every man there. She would go get a crazy bougie lunch with friends and girls just everywhere. Then she would go to a session and then she'd do a second session and then she would go to the club at night and she would like, she wouldn't get fucked up in the club. She wasn't drinking. She's not a drinker. Mm. You know, she might've like smoked a little bit, like, you know, but she was there networking. She as knows. much as she parties and is about that life, she's also like on point with her business. That, that's why. Know? And, and yeah. like, as soon as I recognized that, I was like, this is going to happen. I was yeah. just, I was just like, yes, yes. I made the right choice. This is, we're about to go crazy. How frustrating is it to like have an artist who's wildly talented, but just doesn't have like the work ethic. It used to, sloppy, it used, it you know? used to frustrate me. Now I just move on. There's no mm. point in even dwelling on it. This wow. is a game about doing the work, plain and simple, not having the talent. This is about doing the work and applying the talent. You're up Shit's Creek if you think someone's going to do the things that you think are due to you just based on the virtue of your ability. Most of those guys I went to school with that I said are exceptional 
are still broke. I felt like I had an appetite for the work and so did she. So it happened quicker than with with most and the word got yeah. out. The yeah. word got out. Okay, so let's talk about that big, like the you had like, you know, little bites here and there, nibbles and nice things to keep you guys going. But that big mega breakthrough was Old Town Road. I guess the life changing thing would be Ron Perry called me, chairperson of Columbia Records. Shout out, Ron. Love you, buddy. Um, we've got this song that we signed called Old Town Road. It's at 92. The artist is... 92 on the 92 on the Hot 100, excuse me. And, you know, the artist is a social media genius. You just wait till you see what's going to happen with this record. We've got a feature with Billy Ray Cyrus. He's never co-written before. We need. I need it delivered by Saturday. This was on a Thursday. Had he gone to other writers no, prior? No, I was. Okay. We were the only call. They were sitting in the office and shout out Wes. Um, they were talking about who is a no-brainer. Who's going to get? We get, this is one attempt. We get one shot at this. Billy's only going to show up for this once, and he insisted on being there. Jazzy wasn't feeling well. She didn't want to do it. I consider being a manager like sitting in the passenger seat. Jazzy's the driver. My job, if she's driving shitty, ain't to be like, oh, man, you're such a good driver. It's to be like, hey, maybe you should like keep your eye on the road a little bit here and turn back. And maybe they'll be like, you know, go fuck yourself. But I usually get that call later. Like, you know what? You said that thing. You know, I've been thinking about it. (laughs) And I told her, I said, listen, you know. I know your mom love is a big fan of Billy Ray Cyrus. Like at the very least, you can say that you worked with Billy Ray Cyrus. Let's go get to the consummate manager right here. Yes, we got to the <laughs> studio. I was there. It was me, engineer, Jazzy, Tish, um, Billy's wife, Miley's, you know, mom. And Billy came in with his guitar. He was very nervous, but he knew that this was going to be. A, he knew more than. I knew that this was going to be a moment. I just did it off the strength. I had no idea where this was going. Didn't have enough time to think about where it was going. We got in. I like to give Jazzy likes to have me. She's I call her like the door monitor. She likes to bring me to the studio and I'll like go for the door to like try and do an Irish goodbye. And she'll be like, where do you think you're going? No, you're my good luck charm. Don't leave. You're part of this. I was like, Jazzy, I'm going to go see if I can get some cookies or like something. Go out. I see Meek Mill. Start talking to Meek. I'm like, hi, I'm Jazzy's manager. Oh, I love Jazzy. How's she doing? She's great. Like, you know, if you want to come in, like, you know, she's just in, you know, SSL two. He's like, oh, who's she working with? Billy Ray Cyrus. He's like, get the fuck out of here. I got to come see this. He's like, I'm going to go finish recording. I'm going to come see you. Five minutes goes by. I go back in the studio. Song is done. Mm. Song is done. I'll slide you for, I'll slide you the demo too that she has. Oh, so you yeah, can play please, it. Yeah, please. absolutely. It was done. And then she cut him on it, which was, took a while. It was a little painful. Um, she DMs it to Lil Nas. Lil Nas lost his mind, just brain exploding emojis. I sent it back after, um, you know, the engineer put a really good mix on it. Um, spent some time on it, tweaking it. Everybody was happy. And, you know, we knew that she had done her part. And then literally two weeks later, when they released the song with the remix, it goes to number one, goes from whatever it was before 92 to number one immediately. Not only immediately, it broke every streaming consumption record ever. And it just stayed there all summer. Best summer of my life by far. <laughs> every That's week so it was funny. number one. Number one, number one and stayed there for 19 weeks, shattered the record. It's the number one selling song of all time. It was like getting a purple heart. Nobody could take that from us. Mm. Give a fuck what they think about the song, anything, you know. And Jazzy always said, you know, it was meant for us, Andy. You know, it was meant for me to come out to L.A. and have this 
fine, you know, she didn't write the song. She helped with the song, but it, it changed the game for both of us. No one could take that. So, wow. And it's more, it's got some crazy accolade about more sold than like the uh, Beatles or Drake or something. Even I got one song. I have right? a plaque in my house, 15 times platinum. Is it's that the 20 record? Times, it's, it's yeah. I mean, in the digital era, it's 20 something times platinum around the world, which is just obscene. From the humblest beginnings with a kid leasing a beat on beat stars or whatever writing the song on a couch it's finding its way to jazzy and our little role that we played into it into making it a monster monster like talk us through that moment of you know everything you'd gone through which you shared on the podcast today and your dark moments and then jazzy had dark moments too she's obviously like insanely talented and she'd been around you know different people timberland missy that type of thing and she didn't that earth shattering moment eluded her until that. Well, same way that it eluded me. And that's why I think it, those, those are from, from, you know, having the opportunity to build a business now on the strength of, you know, a core client. Um, that's, that seems to happen a lot of times. It just takes, it just takes one. It, takes it just one. takes one. That's what Jay-Z said. Jay-Z said, you only got to be right. It once. takes one. It takes gotta- one hit record, one client, one moment, you know, to completely change the conversation, you know, and even talking about this for the last like 45 minutes, those series of moments that were inflection points that brought me to where I am now as self-assured and confident as I am now when I had lost that a little while, you know, it got, Rightfully it, so. you it got, got you bad, know, but I didn't, you know, you fucking fell down a hundred times, you know, 100%, so. but you heal up, you skin your knee, you get the fuck back up. The hardest part at the beginning of this story was that a lot of it, I was my own worst enemy. That's where the self doubt came they from. Go I, further did it, into that. I did it to myself by making dumb mistakes, by trying to move too quick, by feeling entitled because I thought my passion was enough and energy was enough to insert myself in the game in a more substantive, meaningful way than anybody wanted to insert me. I remember you giving me a call and you were at a dinner with, I think it was like Billy Ray and like Miley Cyrus, where Mm -hmm. you're like, you looked around and you had a moment of a surreal feeling where you're like, whoa, like this is fucking crazy. And then you stopped yourself mid thought and you're like, no, like this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is where we're supposed to be. Oh, yeah. Can you give the people that moment? I remember one. Well, I remember one time the weekend was having a party. I'm going to come back to that, but I'll preface it with this. And Jazzy and I said to ourselves, and she loves to go out and get lit and go to parties. And she was like, no, not for us. We don't belong there yet. We want to get the invite for this and be there. Wow. So when we had the invite for this, and it was really about the work that we had all collectively put in together. And we put in a small piece of a much bigger pie but we belonged at that fucking table. I belonged there. Jazzy sure as hell belonged there. It was, it was great. And talk. That's how you. But you caught yourself. Absolutely. And I think you know. I used to not catch myself. If that's kind of what you're getting. That's at. what I'm trying to I would say. Be, I, I might have survivor's remorse or whatever you call it, where it's like, no, like I don't deserve to be here. You know, whatever. No. Or I'm I, lucky. I'm lucky. You know. I got lucky. Hell no, I didn't get lucky. All the, all the mistakes I'd made. All of the right choices I made led me to that moment. And in that moment, I got to appreciate it for what it is and be very present. And by being present, I was able to celebrate in real time 
what was happening around me and happening around the world in a lot of ways. The record was everywhere. Yeah, it was still yeah, number yeah. one. It was yeah. it was number one forever. And again, at this dinner is like what Lil Nas X, Billy Ray. It was everybody. It was everybody. You know, I think we all that thought had all crossed crossed all of our minds. You know mm. that it was a it was a beautiful celebration of a job well done. You know, when you look at the greats, the greatest of all time, no one got there by being lucky. All of them work their asses off and outwork the other people. It's when they stop working like that, that they begin to fall off and someone sees an opening. You've got God's light coming down on you right now. You see it? You feel it? Oh yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Make a point. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be in the behind the scenes documentary for Connection is Magic. (laughs) That moment right there. (laughs) What happens after that mega breakthrough moment is shit starts to find you passively a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You stop, you start... You stop soliciting and you start fielding. Isn't that feel so much better just to field? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> it can be overwhelming too, though. How many emails do you get? A lot. Too many. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot. I mean, but I, 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 create, I, I, I create enough space where I respond when it makes sense for me. In a lot of ways, if I just gave and gave and put out, I would have no time for me. And I want to continue to as I get older to be the best version of myself, the same way I show up for people helping them be the best versions mm. of themselves. I don't want to forget about me along the way. And imagine being a celebrity like a Michael Jordan, you know, that's a very lonely existence in a lot of ways. Cause everybody wants something at all times when it makes, doesn't necessarily make sense for him. So you have to insulate yourself from it. And, you know, like, to a lesser degree, people in the industry, but the more and more power you get or influence you have, the more you have to protect your energy. You know, it's only natural. And with with that said too, though, I read everything people send me. And most of the time I go, delete it doesn't make sense. And if they follow up, I'll see some, um, and in the right way, there's people who have emailed me or called, gotten my phone number and call me and leave messages where I'll block them because that's inappropriate, but will email me in particular and be like, oh, you remind me of me. This is me. This is me looking in the mirror when we were at, you know, La Poubelle or whatever. Me doing this is probably there's a kid out there sitting doing the exact same thing. And the cycle continues. And I've come out clean on the other side of this when I didn't think I would be able to. Nice visual right there. One of those passive moments in particular, which was cool, was Lemonade went pretty huge. Tell us how the Lemonade record happened. That might be interesting. Jazzy put out this song, Lemonade, um, when she was sleeping on an air mattress in my place. Um, no, no, It was written for Lil Skies in an APG session. Lil Skies didn't want it. We all fucked with the record. We were like, this is hard. Every single line in here is something somebody could tweet out, was what I thought. The A&R guy, Matt McFarlane, shout out Matt, Great A&R guy, always believed in the record when it came time. You know, the record didn't react when Jazzy put it out. They did put it out. We put it out. It came out on Spotify in 2018. It got, you know, a couple hundred thousand plays. Like, we weren't expecting the world. She had no audience at the time. And we forgot about it. And when it came time for internet money to put a a project together, it needed a lead single. And Matt was in Taz Taylor, the head of internet money's ear. And was like, what about that song Lemonade, which was called Drippin' at the time. And well, um, their version of it? No, ours, it, it, the demo was called Drippin'. There you go. And when, but we always called it Drippin' because we were just used to referring to it as Drippin'. And um, he was like, what about Drippin'? 
And he was like, oh yeah, like, let me hit Andy and Jazzy up. And we talked about it, figured the business out and they released it. And again, no expectation for what it was going to do. Because was, you'd already seen it come out. I'd already out, seen it, it come, come out and it didn't do anything. Right? Yeah. I always knew it was hard, but yeah. I've got 600 hard Jazzy songs on my phone. You've heard, yeah. you know, maybe 20 of them that I played you and they're yeah. all fire. So I was like, okay, let's see what it does. And it became something. It also helped break artists in the process, like Don Tolliver and... That record traveled overseas. Internet Money and Birdman Zoe, shout out Birdman, Taz's manager, did a great job pushing and promoting the record and frankly, picking the right record. Yeah. Maybe if they picked another one, it wouldn't have done shit. And there's another moment in the journey, which I want to talk about. Um, the goats, when the goats show love, that's a special moment. And Pharrell obviously is top three. You can make an argument, maybe top two. I don't know. Goats. And this man like had... There's a video, which you will get me before <laughs> you, you leave yeah, here. Yeah, before okay. you leave here, you. I'm getting that I video you. from you. Um, where you guys are at the Troubadour. It's like you, Jazzy. And it was the tr- it was Ron Perry's birthday party. And anybody that knows Ron knows that Ron has a rock star's heart. He had a Bruce Springsteen. I walk in. It's very surreal. It's Andrew Watt on stage. Great guitar player. Um, John Mayer. I think Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers or something. And Ron. Ron had the... Red bandana looking like fucking Bruce Springsteen, black t-shirt, like, like rolled, rolled up. Just looking like a fucking boss. And I'm looking around. Um, and it's Rob a who- Perry's the head of Columbia, yeah, by the there, way. It's a, it's, a, it's, a yeah. who, it's a who's who of everyone in the industry. And I see Pharrell and Jazzy had, you know, worked with Chris Martin already, Rihanna. Um, she'd knocked heads with some greats that all fucked with her and it had gotten back to Pharrell from multiple channels, how lit she was. Eventually they would cross paths organically. And our A&R at the time, I think brought us around to say hi. And I remember Pharrell like got down and like bowed to her, knew exactly who she was. So I knew I would meet you. And he had this look in his eye. I thought he, at the time I thought he might've been on drug. I, again, raised by Pharrell, like I am Pharrell's son, raised me on the radio. There's some stat about between 2001, whenever like, you know, around that Nelly hot in here, Snoop Dogg, beautiful, NERD was popping off, you know, Britney Spears, Slave for You. They had like 40 or 50% of all productions on top 40 radio in Mm. heavy rotation. Mm. Astronomical. Mm. That was that man, like, that I'd seen everywhere, like just giving her her flowers. He was not on drugs, was by the way. He was, lo- he was he was he was sober. He was locked in. I could see it in his eyes. Jaw his, dropped to the floor, bro. His pupils were so big, and it was it was just a real beautiful moment. And those those moments, you you celebrate those moments. You can even hear me in the background of the video going like, "What the fuck is happening?" Let's be real. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't trippy couldn't feeling, it. right? Yeah, very trippy. And she's had moments like that with. With, you know, folks like Diddy and Drake and Rihanna. And it's it's just it's just validating that, you know, I could take someone that I knew was all of these things and just put her in the game in a more meaningful way and step back and watch them do the work and yeah. just celebrate the work. It takes a lot of, you know, frankly, elbow grease still to make projects happen. Even when you're on, you know, you still have to like fight for things, right? Um, that doesn't really stop. Um, when do you know when to keep fighting for something and when to let it go and move on to the next thing? Right. As a fighter, cause you're a guy that fights for things. Um, you know, 
That's a hard question to answer. You know, when you believe in something, you don't ever really let it go. You might just let it take a nap and Mm. rest and breathe a little bit and then revisit it. I've tried, I've placed records by, you know, there's a song I can think of that I believed in so much that um, I just sent it to everybody and no one would take it. And eventually I took the female singer off of it and put a male singer on it. And then everybody wanted it all of a sudden. All I had to do was just sell it to them. It diff- you know, present it differently hmm. because I was hearing through something what maybe they were having trouble on a stumble or hitting a stumbling block with. And so you always all, all you have in a game of listening to music is to trust what you're hearing and your gut your instinct. That's well, even all, if you're an entrepreneur, an artist, it doesn't matter. Like anything in the creative entrepreneurial space. Yeah. It's all instinct. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and like where I work, you know, off the success of Jazzy, you know, there's somebody I long admired in the music industry named Neil Jacobson, who brought me into this new venture called Hallwood Media. And I never met him. This is somebody that I was in those coffee shops sending him my resume. I must have emailed him 15 times. No Not problem. one response. I used to call his phone. Ned Monahan would pick it up and be like, Andy, man, he, you know, come on, bro. You know, he ain't here for you. And I eventually met him and we hit it off immediately and listened to music. And he was like, you have the best ears of anyone, you know, in this wow. company. I trust your instincts. You run here. Here's the keys. Now run with it. The same way that I had done with similar people. And now I'm ready to start finding people that have that same energy and maybe help them. Cause I love my energy. I'm proud of my energy and helping them refine it and maybe get to it quicker than it took me, mm. you know, closing the gap on, and then they'll pay it forward and do it better than me. You know, the success is, is whether old town road is, is the last thing I, it's not going to be the last thing I ever fucking do, but like whether or not, that's the the last thing that of that kind of caliber that I ever accomplish. I want to help people celebrate and be a facilitator for moments like that for, you know, whoever's next. And I think Neil is doing that for me in a lot of ways. And same way Tim and Danny put me in the game. He's putting me in the game in an even more meaningful, substantive yeah. way. So yeah, let's that's, fucking go. That's a great point. And, you know, Angel, who we just had on. Shout out, Angel. Angel Fede, Lopez. Yes, sir. Timberlands. Gary Morella. <laughs> <laughs> Team Timbo, yeah. as he says. I feel like I'm, I'm like um, DeSeuss and Mero right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. AKA but, the big enchilada. <laughs> AKA the... <laughs> do you know what... All right, but do you know what Angel said, bro? He said um, he, he, he passed along like his beats to Marcus Spence, Tim's manager, early in, in, you know, in his career. And he's like, I was bummed out. I wanted him to get it to Timberland. But speaking honestly, he's like, that tape didn't have the vibes. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't and think when I had, you were emailing Neil 15 the, times. Did you have it yet? I didn't have the vibes yet. I wasn't, I wasn't and he picks He's good. Shout he's, out to he's everybody at, listening though. Right. This is a moment to pay it forward right now, bro. You want to pay it forward. This is a moment to pay it forward. If you're talented, you got some talent and the door's not opening for you yet. Just keep at it. I mean, seriously, oftentimes there could be a door waiting for you that you had no fucking idea. Well, you never, what's the expression? You never, you never lose until you quit. It's facts. And follow your dreams. Most importantly, I had a dream to once upon a time be, um, making music for other people. My musical existence now is a solitary creative universe that I create for myself and help curate with other people around me. Very different than when you started. Very different than where I started, but I'm happy and fulfilled and I'm not, I don't have delusions of grandeur 
um, like I did at the time because I was still learning and my vibes weren't right. I can't okay. emphasize that enough. I was immature and now I've I've grown into a mature, confident person. You went from Michael of. Jordan playing baseball to Michael Jordan playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> you did the reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like... man. I was batting 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 one one fifty like Jordan when he played for, you know, fucking exactly. Yeah, socks, exactly. So cool. Well thank you for coming in today, bro. My pleasure to and, and, uh, laying down the fucking gems. And um where can people find you? Uh you can find me at Andy fucking Steinway. On Handle of all handles, bro. <laughs> and um you can find me in these streets. We're back outside all summer. Best summer of our lives. Greatest summer ever. Andy ready to pay it forward. Yeah, See you guys next episode. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and until next time, please stay connected.